0: Welcome to Podcast Sans Frontiers, a Metal Gear Solid audio experience. Here, we infiltrate the narrative, interrogate the characters, extract the themes, by a Fulton, of course, and finally face down the technological behemoth that is the Metal Gear franchise.
1: New mission available.
0: I'm Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. Hi, I'm Brent. Today's episode is Another Mission Boss? as we continue our overview of MGSV with the discussion of its mechanics and systems. But first, our spoiler warning for this and every episode. Everything is declassified. We know who Sigint becomes, we know who Meryl marries, we know the fate of Master Kazahira Miller. This is not a playthrough podcast. It's all on the table for discussion as we progress through the games. We had a pretty somber discussion last time out, so I wanted to balance the scales a bit and do one of our lighter and more discussion-oriented episodes. Plus, it might be nice to fully lay out the mechanics and systems in play ahead of laying out the Phantom Pain in detail. Much of the systems and menus we will be discussing today come into effect after the first couple missions. The hospital and inaugural mission in Afghanistan are a narrative track that the player has to go through before the story and gameplay open up. This game was built on the Fox engine, which Kojima began developing after MGS4 in order to make the quote-unquote best engine in the world, which he'd demo in both 2011 and 2012 before the announcement of MGSV properly. Metal Gear Rising was supposed to be the first game to use it, but the engine was not developed in time. And as discussed with Peace Walker, that game itself features an early, stripped-down version of the engine Kojima was developing. The purpose was to not build a graphics engine, but an entire toolkit for game creation. Features of the Fox engine include camera operability, capture technology for creating 3D models, complex lighting systems, such as reflection, shadows, light bounce, albedo, and skylight, texture rendering, including human characters, and various editor tools for developers, such as level editors, animation editors, and UI editors. That just
1: reminded me... Uh... You don't really get those anymore through the early 2000s, even to like 2010, 12, 13, you'd get games with like E3 things where they go over like the bit mapping or whatever in the engine, which is that was always fun. I remember Oblivion did a bunch with that. You don't get that anymore. So it's it's nice. It's a nice flashback to when uh, developers were good way to tell you how many polygons they had. Look at our <laughs> polygon count. Nobody cares now. Like it's, it's everyone has the same tools, So. Everyone makes games in the Unreal Engine now, so they all look the same. Uh, yeah, we'll, I, this will be, a, a I think, a recurring theme for Phantom Pain, but I, the Fox Engine, I love it. It's one of my favorite game engines ever made, honestly. It's it's just, like, it's. it's I don't know if it's animation-specific or if it's a combination of animation and just, like, physics rendering. Although, I don't know if the physics is, like, they're not, like... Half-Life 2 level, even. They're not, like, perfect physics. Half-Life 2 is not perfect. They're not... There are better physics engines out there. Like, there's some, there's still some weird bouncing around. You can hit mm-hmm. people with cars, and they go off at very strange angles in this game. <laughs> but the movement, like, the on-foot movement, which is, you know, the most important aspect of, of any kind of tactical espion- espionage action, it just feels really heavy and deliberate. Like... Like, Naked Snake is is basically just Solid Snake with a beard. I mean, despite some mm-hmm. animation changes. But, like, Old Snake is, is, like, a it's just a big dude. Peace Walker Snake, like, B- Big Boss of Peace Walker is, like, a tank. But Venom Snake is, like, a lineman. Like, this, this is a big dude. Yeah. <laughs> he just feels heavy. He feels... it's They managed to do it really well. Like, we'll talk about this. But when you can use other characters and other missions, they don't feel as, like, big and and... Just ponderous as Snake does, as Venom Snake does, which is really impressive. Like it's just different enough the his animation set to make him feel like he's really like it makes him feel tougher because he's running around full speed, leaping behind rocks, and he's he looks like he weighs like two twenty five, like he's a big dude. So I I really really love the Fox Engine. There's almost nothing about it I don't like. Like I said, like maybe the driving stuff is a little janky, but you really shouldn't be driving much in Metal Gear. Like, yeah, you're 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 stealth, you're sneaking. The horse physics. It's this and Red Dead. That's it. That's that's the top of the the, the, the tier. That's the top tier for as far as horse physics mm-hmm. in gaming. i am just feeling I mean that's why I don't like horses. They're, they're so big. Like I, I'm a little afraid of them. Not so much that I'd run away from a horse, but I don't really want to get too close to a horse because it's you just get the sense it's an animal that could very easily heal you. And I yeah. I try to stay away from those animals. Like I'm not running up to bears, I'm not running up to horses or lions. You know, any any cats Any big cat, I'm staying away from. Any big dog, I'm staying away from. Uh, Yeah, Snake is like a human Malamute in this
0: game. He's just huge. Yeah, no, he has some real gravity to him. Oh, Lord, he coming when he's running. That's what I'm saying. It's a good spot for us to transition. We will come back to navigation a little bit further in the episode. Um, But diving into the game itself, let's talk about the Aerial Command Center or ACC. (laughs) Snake and the Phantom Pain can be in one of four places. Afghanistan, Central Africa, Mother Base, or the ACC, which is Snake's helicopter, the Pequod. From the Pequod, Snake can deploy to any mission or the three other areas just mentioned. The Pequod will be the way you most often deploy and exfiltrate for missions. It will be how you return to Mother Base, and it's probably where you'll do most of your base and inventory management, though you could do that from most locations. Snake is not playable in the ACC, We just see him sitting with his weapons and buddy around him as he waits another mission. This is also the start home screens for both the Ground Zeros and the Phantom Pain, Snake just sitting in the chopper. Inside the ACC, you'll see the latest weapons and buddy that Snake deployed with, and there are photos and other Easter eggs around that accumulate as you progress through the game. We'll discuss mission select options next. The player can choose between main missions and side ops, but only the main missions are replayable. This is a departure from Peacewalker, where all the extra ops were replayable, which I do think is the better system. But to go along with that, no side ops get a letter grade, and some of the side ops will end up actually being critical story missions or lead to unlocking main missions. We'll talk about the main missions and important side ops in our narrative coverage, but most side ops fall into one of these several categories. Extract Personnel, such as interpreters, weapon specialists, skilled soldiers, prisoners, and wandering Mother Base soldiers of the Mother Base from 1974 that was destroyed in Ground Zeroes. Um, some fun facts here is that when doing those wandering Mother Base soldier missions, when you extract them, uh, the exit music is Love Deterrence, which is the mm-hmm. pauses theme from Peace Walker. Um, and later in the game, you will also be recovering escaped children who were part of Liquid's uh, White Mamba Gang or whatever that is. Um, there'll be capture animals missions. There'll be secure blueprints or uh, special materials. Um, and then several eliminate enemies kind of missions, ranging from heavy infantry, armored vehicle units, and tank units, uh, mine clearing target practice, and then I said there are a couple story side ops. Um, those include uh, recovering Huey, uh, visiting Quiet on Mother Base, um, recovering the man on Fire's remains, and extracting the boss AI pod, which we'll talk about all that when we actually get to those in the story. I, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot to say about the side ops in this
1: one. Like you said, they I, I don't feel as... I don't know. I, I spent a lot of time doing them. I remember catching, I captured a lot of animals. I did a lot of, I mean, I don't know if I went out of my way to do, to collect like flowers and stuff, but I definitely would get them when I saw them. It are this even more than the replaying the missions in like the later, you know, like the hard mode missions. This is the stuff that feels the most like just kind of panicked padding that they threw into the game. I could do without them, like some of them, honestly. Yeah. Um. Anything with the fault, stuff is always fun. I, I do like doing that, so I can't be too it can't be too critical, but this is definitely the stuff in the game that I felt the least. It just feels weird in a game that's built around open world mechanics so much to have open world side missions. It just feels a lot of preamble to do not a lot of stuff. Yeah.
0: I don't think these side ops are as fun or interesting as they were in Peace Walker. Um, I do like the idea of running other missions against these maps, but I feel like there might've been a way to set them up where Because like I said, they're also not replayable. Um, So if you're just like, I want to do a mission where I run against, you know, this part of the map or something, I feel like there should be a way to have just kind of like an impromptu scenario, uh, just kind of that exists within the open world. And you could always do that, but, you know, it doesn't give you a goal, like there's no prisoner to extract or blueprint to obtain if you're just kind of wandering around Afghanistan. So... Um, it's all right. Um, But yeah, I think it's definitely there to just give more game. There's five side missions that truly matter. um, And then a lot of them are fairly repetitive. Um, But I think uh, one of the things you can do with the side ops, especially if you're generally a non-lethal player, is that since they're not letter graded, um, you can go in and you can use your strongest weapons and blow shit up if you just want to do that for a change. Mm They are useful. Yeah, they're very useful for that, I will say. And it's a good spot to where you can try out different weapons, too, if you're trying to figure out what's the best loadout for you. But mm-hmm. The problem is that there is only one best loadout, and we'll talk about that. Once you select a main mission or side-op, you will then determine your deployment configuration. This includes picking your character and outfit, your loadout, buddy, vehicles, and when you wish to deploy between the choices of ASAP, 6 a.m., or 6 p.m. Buddy deployed. Deployments use up GMP, standing for Gross Military Product, which is this game's currency, as well as resources you've obtained. If you deploy with a buddy and a vehicle and use high-powered weapons, that will cost more to deploy than if you went in naked or with weaker weapons. For example, trank rounds for your sniper and pistol require a certain plant, the Digitalis P, to ensure Mother Base can make enough ammo for you. If you do not have the required amount of that flower, you will not be able to deploy with those weapons. If your GMP is too low, you can still deploy for missions, but Mother Base will go in the red and start losing money, affecting morale and the ability to deploy combat units. So we'll go through the kind of mission selector stuff first, including going through what our favorite weapons were. So in terms of the character and camo uh, selection, for me, it's basically always Snake. I really just haven't played with anyone else. Um, There was one point where I was like 370 hours into a playthrough and I was running low on that tranquilizer plant. Um, And if you go and, um, what's it called? I think if you deploy with someone who's from the support team or something like that, like you get like 180% return on like flower pickup. Um, So it was just an easier way to just restock my supply of that resource but other than that i almost always always just play a snake and in terms of what i wear uh, once you get the sneaking suit and battle dress it's one of those two depending on if it's a stealth or a battle um kind of mission up until then um i tried to do what makes sense you know like tiger stripe or jungle or desert but it doesn't really like it really only takes three or four missions before you uh unlock the sneaking suit at first so um, and I think the ways you use stealth in this game are less tied to camo than in previous games. Yeah. Um, like specifically three and four. I think you're still just looking for like things to duck behind or uh, there's a million things because the uh, what's grounds uneven, so just staying low is a good way to do it. Um, I don't know. It just it doesn't feel as necessary. It's line of sight stealth, which is like the yeah. classic Metal Gear style. Mm-hmm. Which feels appropriate as we're kind of ending or trying to mash up into the Solid Mm -hmm. Snake games Mm -hmm. and those are the kind of games that um, yeah Uh, so from oh I do want to point out that there are some uh, bonus suits or you know secret suits that you can unlock through uh, research and development that includes the boss's white sneaking suit um, there's also a gold version of her sneaking suit, mm-hmm. and you can also unlock the cyborg ninja outfit. Um, I believe the tuxedo is also available once you just speed through all the main missions. I think through Sahelanthropus, you'll get it. Um, so there's a couple things like that. But um, in terms of just playing this game, I'm almost just always in the sneaking suit. Unless it's a blow shit up kind of thing, then I'm in the battle dress.
1: Yeah, I definitely, the first time through in Africa, I definitely went with the predator camo. With, like, the the splitter and, like, the, the mm-hmm. jungle camo. Just to run around and, and be, like... Arnold, yeah. Just yell Predator lines to people. To tell people I didn't have time to bleed. All that stuff, you know. You know the movie. I wonder if Hideo Kojima's ever seen it. I don't... I can't tell. Yeah, no, I played Metal Gear Solid 3. He's definitely... <laughs> I played Metal Gear Solid 1. Like, that's that's one of the biggest... Tech, the of their tech is, like, one of his biggest... Mm-hmm. inspirations as far as just like...
0: Yeah, the thermal goggles and yeah. uh, invisibility camo, those are like straight out of Predator. You can drop a you can drop a counterweight on the fear. Mm-hmm. That's a Predator reference. We'll talk about loadout next. I'll run down how the loadouts work. Uh, this is how you carry your weapons and items, and then me and Brian can give um, kind of how we would load out ourselves. So you get two quote-unquote primary weapons. Um, one that you can hang at your hip, This would include automatic rifles, shotguns, and grenade launchers. And then there's a weapon you can carry on your back. These are your, like, heavy weapons. These are machine guns, sniper rifles, and rocket launchers. You get two secondary weapons. One of them is a pistol, so like a single-handed gun, basically something you can wield while having say someone on your back uh, if you're carrying them Mm -hmm. and then your second secondary weapon is always going to be the prosthetic arm you're carrying Um, there are several versions of the prosthetic arm there's a rocket arm a stun arm um and there's a couple other and as you level up your arm it also boosts like your defense and your health regeneration Um, so the prosthetic arm is a key weapon in this game and then, on top of uh, your primary and secondary weapons, you get eight support uh, weapons. Um, these are placeable and throwable weapons like grenades, C4, decoys, magazines, things like that. And then you get eight items, which are like non offensive weapons, uh, or not non offensive items, essentially like cardboard boxes, your night vision goggles, your cigars, um, various things like that. Um, so, Brian, how do you usually load out for this game? Tranquilizer. <laughs>
1: Like even when they even when they develop helmets, it's it's that's the gun. It's honestly a kind of a flaw with the game that it's so easy to to track people. It's so, but like especially the first time through, you need to be tracking. It's just um, like we talked about with Peace Walker. It it the game incentivizes not killing enemies so you can capture them, and it really really incentivizes that because the trank is the easiest gun to use. Any of the trank pistols. Um, I think the only other time I had, I had a different primary, like a different pistol was when I had the water gun for the mana firefights, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I, I I really switch around. I usually carried some sort of burst fire or automatic fire weapon just in case I needed to do it to, to like survive. And then I would take snipers on the, all the cyber missions. And that's pretty much it. I think, you know, the rocket launchers for like the, the side ops, we have to blow up a bunch of cars, that stuff. But I was Trank like 99% of the time is what I had. And I wouldn't use, unfortunately, I didn't do Hitman stuff when I first played this game and like bring the, just a lot of distraction items. Although I used the corporate box, so I wasn't against doing that. But I definitely played this game, maybe to my detriment, as more of like a just line of sight stealth, Trank guy, move on, just kind of like mechanical, efficient snake. And not really like having fun. I should I should use, when I was messing around with it a few weeks ago, I did use the decoys more and like kind of set guys up, which is fun. It's fun yeah. to do that. but Yeah, definitely the first time through, I was very uh, methodical. And and I that is my biggest strength as a gamer, I think, because I don't mind
0: waiting 10 minutes to line something up. That's fine same. with me. Yeah, no, I'm very patient with this game. which is why I'm good at Hitman. Um, I'm the same way with uh, the Trank Pistol. Um, I basically just developed that. Um, Mm -hmm. there's like two, like the two strongest trank pistols. You get your choice. You can get a a trank pistol that'll penetrate through helmets. Um, so it renders them irrelevant or you can get one with, uh, what's it called? Permanent suppressors. So all your, your suppressor doesn't run out. Um, I usually do that one. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, what I try to do, especially after I kind of beat the game the first time, is I try to use my uh, trank as my last resort. Um, And then I try to, like, take guys out with CQC and, like, sleep grenades or something like that. And then if that fails, then usually using, you know, the reflex mode, um, I can still take them out with the tranquilizer. Um, In terms of the other weapons, at my hip, I basically just leveled up the uh, assault rifle you start the game with, um, or machine gun, whatever it is. Um, But like if you just follow that one up its place in the progress tree, um, it gets a stronger suppressor, not a permanent one. Um, and that's mostly there for, like, there are things you might want to blow up along the way, like satellite dishes or comms units, um, and your train rounds aren't going to blow them up. Um, so I, that's why I always make sure you have one thing with actual ballistics so it can, when you if you have to blow something up, you can. Um, with the suppressor on the assault rifle, if you shoot like one bullet at a time, um, you can avoid like drawing fight or like attention for gunshots, um, Or I mean, if you even take off the suppressor, if you just shoot one bullet at a time, you can very quietly do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in terms of my back, like you say, it's like if it's a stealth mission, I'll have a Trank sniper rifle on me. Um, And then there are missions where it's like, oh, I know there's going to be a helicopter flying over the space. So I'll deploy with a rocket launcher and it'll basically just be for that. Um, And then obviously the rocket launcher you'll have for like Sahel and your big vehicle shootouts and all that.
1: Yeah yeah imagining trying to do this oh I mean, you just would die if you do this fight without some kind of explosive or rocket launcher it's like doing
0: it's like doing the peace walker fight with like a just a machine gun okay mm-hmm. have fun yeah you're gonna give it damage just nowhere near enough you'll have to just resupply it and um and then uh, moving on to the other deployment stuff we have uh vehicles that you can deploy with uh, jeeps tanks atvs basically any ground vehicle um, that you see can be recovered trucks and just cars Um, i usually deploy with just like the cheapest jeep imaginable and i only use the vehicles to just get around the map um, because sometimes there is quite a bit of distance between outposts and bases and things like that but i'm never really doing much with them Um, sometimes i do get cheeky and i'll like put c4 on my jeep and then like drive it into an outpost and blow it up. But um, when I'm playing seriously, the Jeeps are basically just to get from outpost to outpost, and I park so far away so that I can do my stealth approach the way I would like on foot.
1: Yeah, I would say the the only exception to that is when I feel like being stupid and driving the walker into a crowd and immediately getting blown up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because vehicles draw a ton of attention. Um, Mm -hmm. If you drive past any soldier, you're probably going to set off an alert unless you're just like really winging it and like your truck may like flip over if you're really going at full speed so um, in terms of mission and travel time like I said you have three choices ASAP 6am 6pm usually I don't sweat it I usually just do ASAP but sometimes I'm like I do want the cover of night or it's like oh this is like uh, the mission where you're going to go rescue Huey, it's actually a pretty long mission. Um, so I know like, oh, it's going to change over the course of this mission. So do I want it to like start in daytime and end in night or vice versa? But usually I'm pretty agnostic at this point. Um, I'm good enough at the game where it doesn't really matter what I'm doing.
1: I definitely would go. Depending on what kind of mission, if it was like a, a an extraction mission or I have to like sneak in, it's really there's something I would go at, at 6 p.m mm-hmm. yeah but like the Huey mission I definitely went at 6 a.m and it didn't finish until like probably I would guess it was 24 hours later mm-hmm. <laughs> in game
0: this is also a spot where if you always deploy at night which you know night does have lower visibility um that's when soldiers start deploying with night vision goggles mm-hmm. um so it's just it's one of the ways the game tries to correct I don't know if there's a similar like adjustment if you always deploy at 6am um i don't know what that would be but you know soldiers have more coffee in them i don't know Base returns as Diamond Dogs' base of operations after its debut in Peacewalker, though with significant changes. First off, we are now in the Seychelles in the Indian Ocean, making it a waypoint between Afghani and African theaters of war. The government of, Se- of Seychelles granted the plant to Diamond Dogs after they aided the government in preventing a coup, with promises to help them if anything other arises that would require the government's aid. While we only deploy to Afghanistan and Africa, it is notable that other hotspots during this time in our world, such as Sri Lanka, East Timor, and Lebanon, could all be locations that Diamond Dogs runs operations against from the new Mother Base. You'll take Miller back to Mother Base after you save him in the first proper mission, and Mother Base will only be a single command platform at this point. The rest you will build as you go along. Like Peace Walker, you will have platforms for each unit of Diamond Dogs, and each platform can have up to four struts, which is essentially how you level up your units using GMP and Materials. The more struts you have, the more effective that unit is. For example, building out your R&D platform means weapons development will be faster. And as anyone who played Metal Gear Solid 2 will note, the design structure of Mother Base resembles the Big Shell. The color and logo for your base of operations is customizable from the ACC. Snake will be able to go wherever he wants in Mother Base, using either chopper, wheels or his own legs. All the platforms end up connecting to each other, except for the animal conservation platform. All the personnel Snake recruits will be found somewhere on the base, including major characters like Quiet and Code Talker. Troops will salute you as you go by, and you can CQC them for practice. Thank you, boss. <laughs> Both of which raise morale. Shades of CQC beach training scene in Peace Walker. There are also showers on each platform, which is how you quote-unquote refresh Snake and clean off any blood on your person. If you keep doing missions without returning to Mother Basin showering, Snake will grow tired and his aim will falter. If you get in a lot of firefights and get bloodied, that blood will stay on you, and eventually you will begin to stink and attract flies and enemies to you. Well, it's not just doing missions without showering. It's, I think, it, I think it's worse if you
1: don't stop playing. Like mm-hmm. that too. Yeah. If you do like ten missions in a row, like in real time, because you know that'll be like a week in game. So yeah, yeah, that's like Snake has been awake for six straight days. So yeah, he's he's tired. Because I am I'm pretty sure the game considers it like if you turn off if you close the game out it's like he goes to sleep yeah I, so like yeah I, I think I'm very sure there's something like there's some kind of mechanic like that in this game because there was another other ones um, and Kojima loves that stuff he he can't get enough of it but yeah the um the flies yeah the flies attracting enemies is very funny because they'll be like ooh what's that and walk over to it mm-hmm. it's just very funny to be like you stink. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Don't they, um doesn't Ocelot like force you to take a shower at one point? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Which is great.
0: Um, Cause I think if you don't do it, that's he's like, they, they, they have a little cutscene that'll be like, um, you know, you need to come back and shower and clean up or blah, blah, blah. Um, there's it's also so there's a dime uh, sorry a d dog scene as well where if you don't come back to mother base enough he'll like mob you as soon as you come yeah oslot will be like you need to come back more or else he's gonna forget who you are and stuff like that if you don't use him for a while yeah mm-hmm. that too yeah exactly there will be a couple relevant missions that take place on mother base during this game which we'll talk about when we get to all the target practice side ups also take place on mother base on each of the various platforms. Let's talk about the platform types next. The first is the command platform, which is essentially just where you command shit from. There isn't anything really special to that one. There's the combat unit, which is the people you send out to fight to other theaters of war. Um, And there's also a side unit for the combat unit known as the security unit, which is for base defense specifically. This is related to the game's multiplayer options and uh, forward operating base modes. There's the R&D team, which is weapons and items development. There's the base development team, which is for material processing and base building. The support platform, which is for chopper support and Fulton extraction success. The intel platform, which is reconnaissance on location of materials, plants, prisoners, weather, and enemies. The medical team creates medical and healing items. And it's where quiet and pause are found in this game. Pause is a phantom, but uh, that's where they are kept at first. Um animal conf- uh conservation uh, is happening. There's a platform that's completely separate where all the animals you save um are like bears, goats, hyenas, uh wolves, I believe. Um so the more animals you capture, you can store at your little zoo. Uh Big Boss built a zoo. That's fun to think about. Um and then there's uh, you know, your standard other rooms like the quarantine, the brig, and the waiting room. Big boss loves poaching. <laughs> and kind colonialism. Like in Peace Walker, you swell the ranks of boss's unit by taking soldiers from the battlefield. The primary method is, of course, Fulton extraction, but I do want to know you can also extract personnel using the Pequod, loading them on it like you did with Paz and Chico and Ground Zeroes, or by leaving the hot zone or mission area on foot or by car. Some personnel may be too old or too injured to extract via Fulton, so these other methods do play a critical role. But let's talk about Fulton extraction as it is a whole new beast. Fulton balloons no longer take up an item slot, which is a nice upgrade, but now the success of extraction is dependent on many factors. When you you approach a neutralized enemy for extraction, you will get a percentage probability of success ranging anywhere from 0 to 100%. Success may depend on the health of the enemy, like if they are dying, less chance for extracting successfully, The severity of the weather, rain and sandstorms may prevent Fulton extraction, or if there's a roof over your head, in which case you (laughs) cannot extract them at all unless you're using the black hole, which we'll get to in a second. Fulton tech can also be leveled up in this game, both in terms of quantity you can carry and what can be extracted. At game start, you can only extract soldiers, but you'll eventually be able to Fulton placed weapons like gun turrets, vehicles like jeeps and tanks, shipping container crates, and even a special Fulton tool for extracting children. Near the end of the game, you'll develop the Black Hole Fulton, which creates a wormhole back to Mother Base and ensures 100% extraction nearly all the time. One last thing, once you can extract shipping crates, you can also Fulton yourself out of the mission map by hopping atop the crate as you Fulton it. You can
1: also uh, fold it off at a weird angle and ride it for a second and jump off to do massive damage to yourself like breath of the wild style Mm -hmm. you can you can do stupid shit and kill yourself which is the if you can't do that in an open world game what's the point of an open world game yes i love i like the mother base i like mother Base specifically it really feels like they capitalized on the idea of like the intel team like what they actually do like i feel like these were good ideas in peace walker that like I I put most of my guys in the combat in Peace Walker, yeah, yeah. or or uh, R and D. Like those are the two things you put them in. And in this one feels like there's more of a reason to have support people and like intel and all that. And it just works. It fits in with the the design of the game a lot. It's a lot more seamless.
0: I guess you can't be more seamless. It is seamless. <laughs> Yeah. I was going to say like, like just like a small example of how effective or how well this game is like kind of designed is if you keep designing your support team that up, that allows your helicopter to come in and pick you up like in a heartbeat yep. um, at the beginning of the game. When you call in the Pequod, it might take like, you know, 45 seconds to a minute before it even shows up at the landing zone. Um, but at the end of the game, if you've been leveling up your support team, that helicopter arrives like instantaneously and on some of the harder missions um, that could make the difference between, you know, success and failure. So, yeah, it's, a, it's important. There, everything has a benefit is the thing. Like it's yeah. nothing's kind of just added on just to make it more realistic or something like everything actually tangibly benefits what you're doing.
1: Yeah. If I have one problem with weather base, I could do, I could have used more real missions there.
0: Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I don't
1: know, maybe, maybe some sort of attack. Like there's, I don't want to uh, put words in your mouth, but I think we would both agree. Probably the best mission in the game takes place there. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's its own literally side area. I would have liked more because I liked the idea of the for, the melody player, the forward operating base, but I didn't really have any fun with it. I was just too behind, I think.
0: Yeah, because um, it, it, that that blew up uh, really fast, and if you weren't, yeah, it was it was
1: pretty incandescent. Like it it ex- it, it was pretty hot for like two three months, and then it was done.
0: There's a mission, I think it's right around uh, Mission 21, I don't even know if it's replayable, but where your base is just infiltrated in the single-player offline mode. Yes. Um, and that's a mission where you don't get to use your buddies. Um, and it's just, it ha- because it's such an industrial setting, it's like, it feels very Metal Gear Solid 1 yeah, and 2. And no. obviously you're on Big Shell, but it's like hiding behind crates. Um, it's less about like camo or hiding in the brush or behind, you know... Uh, uneven ground. It's very... It feels very old school, and I wish there were, like, at least, like, five to ten more missions, honestly, on Mother Base. Like, if you were going to pad out the game, you can just... Like, if they did, like... You know, like, how Zadornoff escaped, like, eight times? Yes. They should yes. just have, like, Quiet escaped, or Eli escaped, or something like that. And I do think you have an Eli fight, and, uh, um, and then that infiltration mission on top of it. Yeah. But I could do with a bunch more, or find some other contacts, you know. One of your one of your combat units has gone rogue and they've like locked down or whatever. Yeah. You know, that would be, I would prefer side ops like that. Yeah.
1: Maybe when you, maybe when you have hostile, when you have hostile people, you capture, they, they take over something like anything like that. Even like a ocelot training mission or something. We have to find, you have to catch ocelot or something. That would be fun. Anything else. Yeah. Cause you're right. I think that nails it completely that it feels specifically. It feels like the VR, like the side missions and like the, um, not VR missions are they VR missions 2? You know what I'm talking about? Like yeah, the side yeah, stuff? absolutely. I think that's what it feels like to me, and I I love those. Yeah, anything that feels like two, because that's that's the issue with two is there's not enough of it. So anything that has that feel, I will I will gladly play.
0: Yeah, I think that's the problem. It's just Mother Base is so huge, and like it's actually like a very dynamic layout, and like no two platforms are the same. There's all sort of small corners. Like it, it's a huge map, and I understand a lot of that went into the forward operating base, like multiplayer component. But like I feel like they could have leveraged it a lot more in the single player as well. Alright, let's talk about actually playing this game. First big change, no health or stamina bars. Like many modern day FPS's, your screen will gradually go red or scorched as you take damage, and if it goes all the way red, you die. In terms of navigation, most of the functionality from MGS4 is here. You can stand and run, crouch walk, and lay on the floor to crawl. New to this game are the sprint function, done by pushing down on the left analog stick, which is the best way to incorporate a sprint function, I think, and the dive function, which is a square on the PS4, where you can go from a sprint into a belly flop onto the ground and immediately be in a prone position. Foot is not the only way Snake navigates the world now, however. We've talked about the Pequod a bit, as it can insert and remove you from the playable maps at certain landing zones, or LZs. Most missions will have multiple LZs for you to choose from, Those with the red icon mean you'll be landing in an enemy-fortified zone and will come under fire right away. Your buddies, D-Horse and D-Walker, will also help you get around maps, as will the various tanks, ATVs, Jeeps, and trucks found therein. Reconnaissance has always been integral to playing Metal Gear Solid, but as with any good sequel, it gets leveled up to not only an essential part of mission planning, but a fun part of it too. The binoculars are your best friend, accessible by the R1 or right shoulder button. Using them, you can mark enemy troops, vehicles, weapon emplacements, and prisoners. And as noted in our opening episode, buddies like Quiet and d Dog can also mark enemies for you. The binoculars also have a built-in directional microphone, which was one of my favorite tools in Metal Gear Solid's 2 and 3. And it is seamlessly incorporated into the Binox, allowing you to surveil conversations as you watch enemies through your scope. This is even a mission objective in several operations where you have to listen to entire conversations between key personnel. You have to find out who who Ames is right (laughs) now. Close, close. You must be Ames. You must be Ames. Additionally, you can lay down waypoints for navigation and eventually your binoculars will be able to scan enemy troops for their stats and skills so you can determine who best to extract from mother base. Once they are marked, which is done by focusing or zooming in on the target, They remain in your heads-up display as you navigate the world. This, I think, works great. It's a smart evolution of MGS stealth gaming, since there's no soliton radar for this operation, but also conveys something about Big Boss, that is, his battlefield awareness. We know he's a soldier apart from the rest, and this sort of cognition of the battlefield really sells us on the legend of the world's greatest mercenary. Quote-unquote Big Boss.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the binoculars to me, I love, again, it's why I like Hitman. It's why I I like most about Dishonored. It's the best way to play Dishonored. A a good stealth game, like the DXX games are pretty good stealth games, but they're not really, it's hard to get like a layout, like, because there are a lot of corridor games. There's a lot of corridor stealth in those games and like linear moving from place to place to do stealth. Yeah, a great stealth game needs to give you a, a reasonably open area and lets you just do reconnaissance. That's, that's why I like Sniper Elite. That's why I played that with a friend a few weeks ago. Because we could just take our time. We could just sit there for a couple minutes and plot out like, okay, this guy's here, this guy's here. That's what I'm good at, is like, rote memorization and just wrote, like, just keeping things, you know, taking in stimuli and and like plan, being able to sit and make a plan. And I, boy, I, I would say half the time I played this game was spent looking through binoculars. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, every, every, a lot of games try to have a "quote unquote" stealth sequence, but all that is usually is is a line of sight thing. Yeah, it's like you have to stay out of the line of sight of enemies and just kind of go around them. But this is meant to be like tactical espionage action. And actually, this game has a different byline. Yeah, um, but it's it's like tactical operation battlefield or you know something dumb like that. <laughs> um, but it's. It's not just that, like every part of stealth infiltration is part of it, and usually that's meticulously planning out where you're going to go, getting a feel for the enemy patrols. It's not just stay out of the line of sight of like these three cones that are walking around you. Reconnaissance is only one aspect of stealth, of course. Infiltration is another pillar. Snake's footprints will once again be audible, and you can control the speed of snake's walk with the pressure sensitivity of the left stick. As with Peacewalker, the sneaking suit will muffle your footfalls so you can approach enemies at full speed, and inclement weather like rain and sandstorms will also cover your footfalls. Snake will be able to deliver, develop various camo patterns that we've seen in previous games, and they behave pretty similar to Peacewalker. Lighting is a huge component of the Fox engine, as we discussed earlier, and also plays a big part in stealth gameplay. Snake will obviously be more visible in daylight and in direct artificial light, such as a tower spotlight or the searchlights on a helicopter, or headlights on a tank. Most lighting units can be turned off or destroyed, or the power source destroyed to help provide the cover of darkness. If an enemy sees or senses a snake from a distance, you will see a white crescent in the general direction of your spotter. If your spotter is a helicopter, tank, or a sniper, the white crescent will have a little emblem indicating who has spotted you. And once a helicopter or tank has eyes on you, it's almost always going to trigger an alert. With the sniper, if you lay low and still, you might be able to avoid detection. Once an enemy unit has marked you as an enemy, you get a brief three-second window called Reaction or Reflex Mode, which is a diet bullet time mechanic. The world slows down around Snake, giving him a brief moment to neutralize his spotter before an alert can be triggered. This again works as both a good mechanic to help you get through the game, while also reflecting Snake's ability as just being the quicker and better soldier this mechanic can be turned off by the player and is disabled on some of the later harder missions once you are in alert combat stage there is no longer an alert caution or invasion timer to let you know what the enemy status is instead you're going to have to rely on visual cues and audio intercepts telling you what the current enemy is doing the music will su- also subtly reflect the state of alert enemies or the state of alert enemies are in when under fire, you'll see red crescents on screen indicating what direction you are being attacked from, not unlike the white crescents for suspicion. All your favorite Metal Gear mechanics are back for this game otherwise, from hiding bodies to cardboard boxes, and boy are the cardboard boxes getting more new fun features. These include being able to pop out of the cardboard box to attack, you can discard or remove the box, but you know um, it will still be there so it can draw an enemy's attention, um, boxes can be laid vertically or be popped up and you can have posters of pin models, uh, up models rather, um, that soldiers will gawk, gawk, at, and you can use cardboard boxes as a version of fast travel. Uh, most major bases have like a loading bay. And if you put on a box, um, it may, may take you to, uh, one of several locations. You can also surf that with them
1: down hills.
0: Oh yeah, that's dock, right. Knock right. over enemies,
1: which is great. Yeah, that, that sort of playful stuff, like I said, that's the stuff I didn't do as much the first time. Um, setting up a, a a row of, like, uh, inflatable decoys and standing in between them and seeing if they can pick out who you are. Throwing clips at guys' heads and, like, distracting them. Uh, uh, dodge, was it, was it like, rolling into them a bunch so they, like, get stunned, so they're stun-locked and then you can like, push them around and do stuff. Driving cars into guys, all that stuff. I, I've been doing more and more of that the, 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 when I just played recently, just messing around, having mm-hmm. a hard time because I'm playing on my original save, which means everyone has like body armor and, and full helmets and like they're super observant.
0: Yeah, no, that's the same. Issue I'm running into it's just like all these soldiers are like super powered, um, and I'm just trying to play around with like weaker weapons that I never used before.
1: But it is fun. It's it, it, you can still get them to do it, which is very fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a minute. But using the helicopter as a distraction actually is more useful to me than using it as a straight up assault. Just having having fly in and get people to shoot at it while I just run past them is. I did that more than I'd like to admit, but it's great. It's it's a tool given to you. It's not the game. The game does not shame you for doing it. It's. It's player expression. That's how you play, which is Mm -hmm, great.
0: mm -hmm. Let's talk about combat now, starting first, of course, with the close quarters kind, CQC. We've described some of the previous game CQC controls as wonky. Interrogations in MGS3 use button pressure sensitivity that doesn't translate as well to the HD remakes, and the MGS4 would automatically have you throw your enemy to the ground if the left stick was not perfectly centered. CQC in this game handles like a fucking dream, though. A lot of it is context menu driven, but it's super easy to navigate and use. When not shouldering a weapon, you can hold down the R2 button to grab your enemy in a CQC hold. If you're crouched, you will pull the enemy down into a crouch as well, and you can also crouch and stand up once you've grabbed an enemy. And like in Peace Walker, you can chain CQC attacks if multiple enemies are in Snake's vicinity. When holding the enemy, you are given three options. You can interrogate the enemy using the left shoulder button, with several options such as asking where the other guards are, or spit it out, which should give you mission-specific intel. You can also choke out the enemy to knock them out, or you can slit their throat to kill them. If you tap the R2 button repeatedly, instead of grabbing the enemy, Snake will unleash a flurry of punches and chops to neutralize the enemy. It's a very little thing, but honestly you should watch the slow-mo of the animation of this, as it's very good and smart. With each blow, Snake is making sure he stays out of the enemy's gun line of fire, knocking away the barrel and hitting the enemy's weak spots to take him down. If you tap the L2 button during your R2 flurry, Snake will actually take the gun from the enemy and hold him up, which leads us into our hold up mechanics. Like with the R2 interrogation hold, you can coax out the location of enemy patrols and mission intel, but you can also order the enemy to lay down on the ground, which neutralizes them until an alert phase is entered or he is found by another soldier. Let's talk a bit about firearms and other weapons and tools now. Like in Peace Walker, you will be able to develop stronger versions of weapons as you level up the R&D team and acquire certain personnel. Upgraded weapons may do more damage, have stronger suppressors and scopes, or impart some stat upgrade to Snake himself. The Sneaking Suit, for example, raises damage resistance, and your bionic arm will increase certain attributes as well. Weapons are shouldered and fired like in MGS4 and Peace Walker. Low-caliber weapons such as your Trank Pistol and Grenade Launchers also feature range deprecation, meaning the round starts to fall sooner rather than later. The crosshairs for these weapons reflect this trajectory. Equipping weapons is handled through the D-pad quick menus, which is very intuitive and easy to switch between. Um, on the Up on the D-pad is for power weapons, mm-hmm. down is for your secondary weapons, to the right are your throwing and placement weapons, and to the left are your support items. And like in uh, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, weapons have ranks that you can level up as you progress through the game. I know we talked a lot about the Trank pistols, but do you have any other favorite weapons in this game, Brian? I'm trying to remember which rifle it
1: was. There's a burst fire rifle that I used a lot if I ever had to actually fight. Because it's... Like, just spraying... With any stealth game, just spraying gunfire is not always... You're not guaranteed to do very much. Um, I can't remember which one it is. It's one of the later ones you get. It's not the initial gun. Um... And it's not the 16, I'm trying to remember which one it is, but it's, it's one of the later rifles that has like a little burst fire mechanic that it's very useful to just pick guys off. It's actually really useful. I would, a lot of the time, it's weird that this whole time you've been the one who plays non-lethal and I generally just mow through people, but I do, I did the first time through try to, uh, I would shoot guys in the foot or in like in the leg. And then while they're in their animation, I would run up and like, seek you see them, take them out. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that a lot because I, I generally wasn't in any, in any huge, aside from when the game makes you do it, in any huge gunfights, I generally would get two or three guys at a time and just try and maneuver them around and take some damage and then do a lot of rolling. You can you can avoid damage pretty well in this game. A lot of rolling and, and repositioning. I wanted to say, uh, I think the controls are the same on the Xbox, but I love, um, as fun as it is to get those 10 chain... CQC things in Peace Walker where you're just doing the same throw to ten straight guys—it's very funny. Mm-hmm. The just the physicality and the animations for the CQC in this—it's the first time it's felt like how they describe it in the game.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, no, like, I think that's a good it's point. the
1: first time it, it feels like you're actually just dominating these people like physically. And yeah, like you said, the, the anim- it's just the animation level is so good. So I really did. I did a lot of CQC in this game. I would say it was Trank CQC. Those are my go tos, and then I would I have I would use like uh, yeah I would use a sleep grenade sometimes I would use a lot of uh, I really don't think I killed that many people though I wasn't out here like slaughtering everybody like I usually like I would in like three I would just kind of mow through guys this is the first time I played (laughs) the first time I played three I think I said this the the sorrow fight was like twenty minutes long it was a lot of guys I killed um. But I don't think, I don't, there's not other weapons that really stand out to me as like notable. I, some of the like gimmicky guns, like I said, the, the water gun is fun to mess around with. Uh, I don't know. I felt kind of bad because I would develop a lot of these guns that I would use them once and they're on the way. And I really just went CQC and uh, and Trank is like my, 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 my go-to. Like I said, I'm using decoys more. Oh, I would use D-Dog a lot to, to knock people out. Mm -hmm. No, that's a great one. Yeah, that was probably, he's probably my actual second main weapon.
0: (laughs) So it's a little harder for me to recall just because I didn't memorize the gun names. Uh, The gun names that get in this are not um, real guns. Um, That was a change that Kojima consciously made after Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker to not use real gun names. Um, in terms of the rocket launcher, um, I used the CRM, which is like your cluster missile launcher. Um, it's basically the stronger rocket launcher you can get in the game. Um, it usually shoots like three missiles at once. So it usually does enough damage. Um, very early on, your rocket launcher may not be able to take out a helicopter with a single blow. So it really helps for that. Um, there is, like, the strongest lethal sniper rifle is really cool. You only really need it if you want to beat the extreme sniper skull battle uh, with an S-ring. Yeah. Um, and because it's the only thing. It'll take out most of the skulls in, like, three to four shots. Um, but, you know, you're fighting four of them. Um, otherwise, you know, pretty much, you know, I stick to the pistol. I mentioned the normal assault rifle. Um, I do use the grenade launcher if I'm trying to be a little... Like, depending on what I'm doing, I use the grenade launcher as my hip weapon in the Sahelanthropus uh, battle. Yeah. um, yeah. Because you just want a second round of explosive or incendiary kind of weaponry. Um, But yeah, usually I just like, this is going to be my pistol and I'm going to level it up. This will be my assault rifle and I'll level it up. Um, It's only in doing and trying to S rank and achieve everything in the game that I really have to worry about developing some other weapons just because they're marginally stronger at the highest levels. Um, But I think just trying to beat the game and get through most of the missions, not worrying about S ranks, um, you know, you can usually just pick whatever weapon you like and stick with it and level it up. Um, It's only if you have very specific goals that you have to, like, make sure to level up the strongest rocket launcher, the strongest sniper rifle. Yeah, I did use the rocket arm a good amount, too. Yeah, yeah. Because
1: why wouldn't you? It's cool. The G44 is a gun that I use. I just looked it up. And then I I did use the shields a good amount, too, for, like, battle scenarios. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, because if you're mostly using your sniper rifle, you're usually not going to Or, sorry, if you're using your train pistol, you're usually not going to be using a heavy gun on your back. So the shield makes a lot of sense to deploy with. um, And you can always, you know, just discard it if you need something else during the mission. Uh, The other thing I was going to say with the bionic arm, uh, one of the very late game arms is the arm of Jehudi, um, which is an Easter egg to um, Zone of the Enders, I believe, um, because Jehudi is a character there. Actually, a model of Jehudi is in Granin's office in MGS3. But the uh, arm of Jehudi um, is a uh, it's kind of like the rocket arm and has a shorter range. But essentially, if. It allows you to, like, pull enemies closer to you so you can CQC them. Um, It's basically like Scorpion from Mortal Kombat doing the get over here kind of thing with the spear. Uh, It's just a way to, like, bring enemies closer to you so you can CQC them. So that one's a really fun one. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I I enjoyed it. We'll wind down today talking about enemies and environments. In addition to all the standard upgrades you'd expect to enemy AI, such as larger lines of sight, better hearing, unrelenting searches, enemies will also call in reinforcements from nearby outposts and bases, which incentivizes the player to capture outposts or disable comms equipment to prevent backup from being called in. The enemy also learns Snake's favorite attacks and will begin to counter them. If you are a headshot ace, enemies will start wearing helmets. Snake can still get a headshot in on them, but only on their face. Likewise, if you use sleeping gas grenades a lot, enemies will begin to wear gas masks. In addition to radio comms equipment, most outposts will also have anti-aircraft radar and power generators, which can also be destroyed. Power generators will kill lights and equipment in the area, while knocking out the anti-air emplacements will allow the Pequod to land nearer to hot zones and enemy bases without being destroyed. The enemies will also have shift changes throughout the day, so if you take your sweet time with infiltration, the enemy patrols may change up on you halfway through. Likewise, on top of the soldiers protecting outposts and bases, there will be patrol units walking and driving in between bases you'll have to be cognizant of.
1: Yeah, the thing with, with stealth game enemies, you don't want them... Like, I think people think of them as a simulation. You don't want them to be simulated humans. Like you want that for like a shooting game or, you know, a, a sports game or something where you want to have like, you want to, you want to maintain the illusion that you're facing real humans or real humanoids in, some, you know, case some shooting games. Um, think of the elites in Halo Reach. They're really terrifying. But uh, in a stealth game, they, they need to function more as like pieces on a board. They need to be clockwork. Mm-hmm. They you need to have pattern, like because pattern recognition is this is the pattern recognition and like non linear thinking is how you get through most stealth games, and these guys are pretty high up there as far as like dependable. This this is the same thing with um, immersive sim enemies. You you need to have you need to know how they will react to different stimuli. Like it's it's fun to have like crazy, you know like. It's fun to pretend that your AI is like this this crazy unpredictable like real human, but that's not that will not make a fun stealth game. You need to know what's going to happen when you do a certain thing. And these guys are up there with the guys in Snake Eater, hitman enemies, yeah, dishonored enemies, but like specifically like the ones in Deus Ex Of like, if I do this, they will do this, and I can do this. You can get like a flow chart, like a Nathan Fielder style flow chart in your brain. Mm-hmm. You can rehearse. With these guys a lot, he would love them. He would be a big fan of the uh, the Melgasol of the Phantom Pain enemies because he knows what they'll do. He knows how they will react at all times. But it's really good. Like the it 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 makes the game. It lets the game really flow. Like this is a very easy game to put a lot of time into very quickly. Like it's it's definitely one of the games now for me. The ultimate kind of game like that is like a a simulation game, like a like Stellaris or Crusader Kings or something like that where it's built up of small tasks that'll only like, take a minute or two. So you can just, like, I could do another one of those. And then you look up and it's four in the morning. This isn't quite like that. But as far as like an action game, I think it's its really not a taxing game to play because you're not, you're thinking, but you're not like stressed a lot. It's a lot of patience, a lot of very clockwork mechanistic sort of design where it's, if, like I said, if, you, if, if this action is taken, then you get on the flowchart to this and this. And it breaks it down into very small encounters, which is how this game works best, I feel like. I don't want to have a fight against 40 guys, but a fight against four guys, that's a good time in, in this game. It's very fun. And it's really what I was hoping for after playing Ground Zeroes, and they really nailed it. Like, that demo, you know, the the demo we all saw for mm-hmm. campaign it really does play like that. Like, it's, it's... That's one of the most honest, long-form E3 demos I can never remember seeing. Like, that is what that that's really what MGSV plays like. If you mm. take the time, if you don't just run around shooting everybody, just uh, play Battlefield if you want to do that. Like, don't
0: play, don't play a stealth game. Get out of here. <laughs> I was gonna say um, along the lines with enemy patrols, even though you know they do have uh, repeatable behavior, so you can learn patterns. Because none of these maps are like uniform, like say the Big Shell yeah. or Shadow Moses, yeah. like their patrols are different. Like they are weird. They might be loopy or ovular. I don't that's not a word. Um, but like they might be going in and out of a building. Like, so their patrols aren't just like walking around in a perimeter around something. They are often going through it and weaving. Um, And, you know, because they are these kind of irregular paths, like the way that they might cross another person on their path might be at different points in the base. Um, It's not just always at the same spot. So, um, and then obviously, if you do anything to throw them off their path, that might change it. So um, it's good because, like you said, it has that perfect mix of. You need to be able to recognize patterns so you can develop your stealth plan, but also the things you do might affect that pattern along the way. So yeah, it's, re- it's really good. I mean, it's. It, it, I feel bad in some ways. I do love this game, but I feel like some of the things, that, like the two things it
1: does really well, which is the open environment with like dynamic weather, dynamic changing. I feel like Breath of the Wild did that better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like the Clockwork Soldier stuff, that's Hitman's the entire thing. Like when you play mm-hmm. Hitman, you'll see... They are, that's that's the fun of, the, there's a lot of really high level strategies you can get into, which is if I bump this guy at this specific point and then head over to this area and hit this switch, things will cascade. And it's a Rube Goldberg game. And aside from, it's really the only, like, I feel bad because if Hitman did not exist, MGSV would be the best of that kind of game I've ever played. So it's like, it's right there, but it's really impressive. And I, I feel like those two specific games probably didn't take too much from MGSV because th- that's not how games work. Mm-hmm. If if you come out less than if you come out less than three years apart from another game, that game did not affect you. That's how long they take to make at this point. But there's still uh, it's. I'm playing it again recently. I just had kind of forgotten how like really just solid all this stuff is. Extremely well made, and it is you know for better or for worse sort of the main appeal of the game. I mm-hmm.
0: uh, I would, I would I mean, say so.
1: I mean I love I, the lore you do get is good it's still good Metal Gear lore but it's not that's a big criticism of the game it's one I don't disagree with that it doesn't have enough Metal Gear stuff in it it is kind of just like a an action military game but it's a very very good action military game so yeah. you know
0: Yeah, no, it's like if I go back and forth between my favorite Metal Gear game, if I'm waiting like story and stuff, it's Metal Gear Solid 3. But if I'm just waiting it as a actual playable experience, it's probably this.
1: Uh, I think 3 is the only other one that has this level of. Oh, yeah. Just you Um, can just fuck with guards, mm -hmm. which is very fun in 3. It's just the problem is it's not nearly as mechanically not deep, but just like satisfying, like the the engine, you know. I do love that old engine, though. That's a great engine.
0: Lastly, we'll talk about the environments in this game, which are massive and intentionally filled with empty space, to bring to life time and space of this game as we described in our intro episode. The maps in the Phantom Pain, Afghanistan and Africa combined, are roughly 200 times the size of Camp Omega in Ground Zeroes, and that's not even counting Mother Base. We've mentioned the day-night cycle several times already, which both affects enemy patrols and general lighting and visibility for both Snake and enemies. Snake can use his e-cigar to fast-forward time while smoking, which gets us a shot of Snake <laughs> smoking with his psycho watch turning the hands of time, all set to Dada Burke's Wales in Sins of the Father. Weather is also dynamic in this game, varying from sunny to cloudy weather on calm days, but also featuring sandstorms in Afghanistan and rainstorms in Africa, which affect visibility and audio surveillance for Snake and enemy combatants. We'll talk about Afghanistan and Africa maps more in depth during our coverage, but the former is rocky desert and mountains. It was actually shot in Jordan for most of the landscapes, while the latter is more tropical with a mix of jungle and savannas filling the landscape. They're both great little biomes, I feel like. I like how, I might like Afghanistan slightly more because it has a little
1: more hidden, all the little hidden caves you can go into. So the, a lot of the bases, it has a, a surprising variation. Like I can just picture in my brain six or seven different little miniature biomes inside of it. And there's nothing wrong with a good desert level in a game, too. I, I'm always a fan of those. It's my favorite area in Diablo 2 is the desert area. So, I'm always impartial to those. If they're done right, they just have a very distinct feel. But they're both great little areas. I, I have strong memories I specifically have really strong memories in Africa of coming around this little mount, there's a mountain path you can go on and looking out over the entire thing and seeing a helicopter flying off in the distance and just watching it for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. That was a very strong emotional experience. From, and emotional. I guess I it just was like nice. I don't know. I just hung out Red Dead yeah. style, just looked at stuff.
0: I'm That's always fun. Trying to think, and I don't want to talk too much about it now because um, these are very yeah. mission important maps that we'll talk about when we get there. But like OKB Zero in Afghanistan is yeah, one of my favorite like fortresses. But I really, really like the airport in Africa. Um that's a big open space, um, with some very small buildings that I like. I maybe I just like the missions that are uh run out of it, but it's it's got some interesting uh geography to it. So um I, I like both a lot. Um I kinda wish there might have been maybe like one more different biome depicted. Like you can either get yeah. like up into the mountains in Afghanistan or Africa. So there's like maybe a snowy plain. Um, so just a little bit um, different. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know what else it would be. Cause you know, you kind of get the jungle and forest for a game like this. They're basically the same thing. Um, yeah. So I like the fact that we get Africa as opposed to Afghanistan. It's a kind of a different, it's a different stealth environment though. I could have maybe gone for a little more missions in like the woods um in yeah africa because yeah. the most of them are still out in open clearings there are a couple and like the devil's house is in the um woods where you find code talker um, yeah. i think that's a fun mission because you have to either go up the waterfall or go around through the forest i think that's a really good well one.
1: That, i mean that mission is famously where anyone if anyone tries to do like a faked metal Gear solid three be mastered video that's where they go oh yeah exactly which is great and you know anything that that it recalls Selena yarsk like that. That's the kind of area you're looking for, like a timberland kind of area. That would mm-hmm. be fun. That would be a good area, because we get swamps, we get enough swamps and, and bogs and stuff like that. So yeah, who knows? Who knows what it would have been if the game had been finished? I, I don't think there'd be a third biome.
0: But. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't think I needed like a third map or anything. I'm just like you know, if there was a part of Afghanistan or Africa that was maybe a little different. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's actually all really probably there. Because there is, you know, some Afghanistan parts where you're working through the caves, like where you get the honeybee. Yep, that's what I was thinking of. I love that area. For what are, like, two pretty static environments in the sense that it's, like, all desert and mountains or it's all jungle and, like, Savannah, um, they do a pretty good job of having a lot of variety within that. Um yeah. And there's a, there's a ton of elevation in this game and uneven ground, uh, which also really helps. Like there are several missions where you're working your way up a very steep hill or something to get to a base in the first place.
1: You can see the – I would say this is maybe the only Metal Gear game that openly takes influence from other games as much as it does movies. Yeah.
0: No, I think that's a good call.
1: And I think Red Dead is an obvious – like there's a lot of Red Dead in this game. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Especially Red Dead One because Red Dead One doesn't didn't torture all of its people who worked
0: on it nearly as much. I assume, maybe it did. I don't know. We just didn't cover it in the same uh, breadth that we do now. Um, but yeah, I have no idea. Um, and I, I I actually think, uh, and this is something I want to say for our story episodes, but. I think the Western influence, like Western as a genre, yes. genre, is very heavy in this game, and especially in the Afghanistan map. And I think, you know, it's we've talked about Westerns all through Kojima's game. We've talked about Liberty Valence and Unforgiven with MGS4. But, like, this one feels like the Sergei Leon game. Um, yes. Even, like, um, Venom Snake is kind of, like, got a poncho, like uh, Blondie or the man with no name. And uh, Ocelot has the Lee Van Cleef duster jacket for the entire game. <laughs> Uh, I, I Just think it's Ocelot. very. Specific. That's all I have to say. Just yeah, look at Yeah, it. it's Ocelot, He's a fucking cowboy. Um, he always has been, and he always will be. Giddy up! <laughs> no, I feel like that's a great spot to, to end <laughs> this episode at. That's mission complete for this episode. Our frequency is Podcast Frontiers at gmail.com and at PodSandsfront on Twitter and Instagram. You can support Podcast Sans Frontiers final episodes by subscribing to patreon.com slash my mycat, which is my Lord of the Rings Patreon. Patreons will get access to several benefits, including access to our Discord server, and you better believe we have an active Metal Gear Solid chat going there. I've been Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. You can find me covering The Lord of the Rings over at My Brother, My Captain, My Podcast and covering A Song of Ice and Fire over at Not a Cast ASOIAF. I have still been Brian and it is no nation that we inhabit, but a language. Shout out to our sound editor, Stephen Boyd, aka DJ Empirical on Twitter. Please remember to like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast application. So until next time, remember, the sins never die, can't wash this blood, From our hands.